This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. The following program is intended for mature audiences. Oh, you can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line! Chalk blew up! Welcome to This Week in Tennis. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. That was Kansas. Play the game tonight. This is This Week in Tennis. My name is Phil Nasons. On the line with me is Craig Doyle. What's up, Craig? How are you doing? Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a while. I'm doing pretty well, and it's great to hear from you again, Phil. It's great to hear from you as well. I mean, it has been a while, and there wasn't a whole lot to talk about. 
we had our recording uh, things going around because I don't just do This Week in Tennis. <laughs> I do about six other shows, and uh, I had to find some time to get it in, and now we have a, a time to get it in. We're recording from the beautiful Akron Public Libraries, and we've got the studio for the extra time to do this show. What's been going on with the tennis? What have we missed? What what have we missed since we've been gone? Not much, eh? Or a lot, right? Uh, I think we missed the tour finals and the, um, a little bit of this new um, Premier League tennis, but not a great deal because tennis is coming into its very small off-season. So we haven't missed very much. No, we sure haven't, and, and that's perfect. I don't even know now, who won the – oh, that's right. Roger Federer uh, – withdrew in the final against Novak Djokovic, right? He did indeed, which caused a little bit of a stir. Uh, I think it's, you know, difficult situation when one of your finalists withdraws, but it is what it is, and uh, Djokovic was handed the victory. He wouldn't have done that in New York. If the, if, the, if, if, the, if the final would have been played in New York, he wouldn't have done that. Yeah, he may, he may not have gotten out of the building in New York if he had uh, if he had done that. But the uh, people in London were quite delighted to have him on the microphone for five minutes before he, you know, jumped on the tube and left for the Davis Cup final or whatever it is he was uh, heading to next. Which he, by the way, played in all the matches he was supposed to play, and they won. Big shout out to the Swiss for winning the Davis Cup. How about that? Crazy stuff. He was so banged up he couldn't play Djokovic, and then all of a sudden he comes out and becomes a star again. Yeah, it's amazing these recovery techniques, you know, these four-day uh, physio routines that get you back up and running. Um, obviously, he's got the best in the business, um, get, getting him back in action, and he, he plays twice, and he uh, wins a critical game. And he won a critical game, and that's a nice thing. We missed that too, but he did well. Him and Stanley Wawrinka got along very well, as always. And uh, you know what? It is what it is. Big shout out to them. Congratulations. But this India Premier Tennis League. Now, this is an interesting concept. It's similar, or they're trying to make it similar to World Team Tennis, just adding some a couple wrinkles to it. A legend doubles or men's and men's past champion singles and women's past champion singles, I think. And they have this thing called a PowerPoint. They get one per set, and you get two points instead of one. You know what the thing is, though, with this is that it's played in technically what is considered the off season. Now these guys are crying and pouting and moaning about playing too much as it is, Craig. And what do they do? They sign up and play in a Premier League, don't they? <laughs> well, they do. I mean. As far as I've seen, and I've seen a limited amount of it because it's, uh, it's been on at times, it's been difficult for me to catch due to other commitments, but uh, Roger Federer has appeared, Novak Djokovic has appeared, Andy Murray's appeared, Maria Sharapova has appeared, uh, Serena Williams has appeared. You know, a lot of the big names have, have made appearances at this, this event, so... You know, what you're saying there is absolutely correct. The top names are complaining about not having enough time off. And then yet, during the time off, they sign up for more events. So, you know, something there just doesn't sit right. 
Yeah, they whine and they moan about the U.S. Open to the point where they've destroyed it. Specifically, Novak Djokovic and uh, that other kid from Spain. We'll talk about him in a minute. Rafael Nadal, the two biggest whiners of them all. And where is Novak? Novak is playing for the Musifer.com United Emirates Royals. He didn't need any rest to go pick up a check there. I don't understand these guys, man. You know what? And the reality is, here's the deal. They want to do what they want to do. They don't want to be forced to do anything so that they can do what they want to do. Specifically, they want to play exhibitions like these and make big money. That's what that's all about. And I'm not begrudging these young people for it either. But don't come a crying because you play too much and then show up in India to play a set of tennis. And that sounds very logical to me, and I think a lot of this goes back, and I, I don't want to open up that kind of worms again, not on this show, but maybe on a future show, to what you were saying before, in that perhaps the tour is just too long. There are too many forced events that these players have to play in, and uh, perhaps they need to look at balancing the, the length of the tour, the length of the off-season, the number of exhibitions, with the number of uh, mandatory events. But, you know, that's another story for another time. No, I, I'm with you. We can talk about it now if you want. It's okay with me. I don't have a problem with that at all because I'm all for a shorter season, and I have been all for that. If that's what they want to do and play exhibitions, that's fine. If they, They're going to have to cut into something to do that, though. And, and what, what do you cut into? They've already kind of screwed up the uh, timetables as far as the Slams are concerned, extending them by one, two days sometimes. What do you cut out to make them happy? The Super Nines, the, whatever they call them now, the Master Series, whatever they are every year, they change the name. Uh, it, it's, it's difficult because, because of the way these things are spread across the year. Do, do we need nine events of that level? Um, those are all mandatory. Well, eight of them are. Then the tour also dictates that uh, the players should play four events at the level below that, which I think there's about 11 or something on the calendar. Um, so, you know, that, that's, you know, straight away players have got to play, what, 12, 13 events there, plus you've got four grand slams. So you're looking at 17 events minimum. Um, four of those are two weeks long. Uh, you know, maybe, I, I mean, I quite agree with some of the logic in what you have said on previous shows in that, Perhaps we need to cut the tour off at the U.S. Open, just, you know, say at the end of September or start of September, whatever it is, that should be the end of the tour. And from, from then on, we could play exhibitions, something along those lines, because there's little interest, little incentive for the top players to continue playing after the final Grand Slam of the year is finished. Why do you want to turn up and play tour events, um, especially the top players who probably have enough points in the bag for the tour finals anyway? They don't really want to be checking around over Asia, over Europe for another two months when they don't really have to. So it's, it's a difficult one, and I'm sure there's a lot of contracts involved, a lot of sponsorships involved, um, a lot of money being waived at top players to turn up at events, etc., so it's very, very tough situation to resolve to, to figure out what the best way is 
going forward. But I, I think a shorter tour would probably benefit everyone, um, allowing for more exhibitions and more incentives for the, the top players to to play these exhibitions. And more importantly, to play in places where they don't normally play to help grow the game. And, and I think that they would do that well. Um, I think that they should have the tour final in January, right at, right before the U.S. or before the Australian Open. And these guys are flying all over the place anyway. They're playing exhibitions, for goodness sakes. At that time, it'll give this opportunity for guys to get healthy so you don't see a kid get pulling out like Federer did against Djokovic. Now, it... And one of the reasons is because they don't treat that tour final the same way they would treat a Grand Slam final. It doesn't mean the same thing to them. You tell me in your heart of hearts that Roger Federer is going to withdraw at the U.S. Open final against Novak Djokovic. Can you you do that? I can't tell you that because he wouldn't. I mean, the the U.S. Open final is one of four events, which is the uh, absolute pinnacle of why you would play tennis it's you know you get to that final that two weeks and uh even if you're 50 percent, i can guarantee you you're out on that court because you just don't know what can happen um it, it's you know the big event the big grand slam king of the world uh you you're out there and we've seen it before we've seen uh I remember Stan Wawrinka winning the australian open rafael nadal out there he's hopping around on one leg unable to move he even managed to win a set in that final. He wasn't 100%. So you, you can see when it comes to the Grand Slams, these guys are out there if they're in the final, whether they're 100% or not. And you can see that Roger Federer put the Davis Cup in front of that final too because they don't care about that final. No one does except the fans. Okay, maybe somebody that's 7th or 8th does because it's a lot of extra money in his pocket. But they don't care. You play that in January, and they might care then. They might begin to care. Because that would depend and make that part of the uh, seeding process for the Australian Open. Make that the year-end number one, number two, whatever. How uh, Pull those points backwards and make them count for that other calendar year, and you got a winner. The other thing yeah, I would do is I would do something different with Davis Cup. And instead of having it all season long, I would probably run a two-week tournament after the U.S. Open because guys wouldn't mind playing so much in a two-week type tournament. They could go have a lot of fun, play, go play somewhere where they haven't played before, give the guys a very nice place to play, of course. Let them take their wives, girlfriends like they do anyway, make it a little vacation, let them play. And I think that you would see a lot more uh, competitive formats in these Davis Cup, not to say that it isn't, but you wouldn't see guys pulling out is is probably as easily if they knew it was going to be at the same time every year, it was going to be a one, two week deal, and off they go. Kinda of, I would run it kind of like they're running this India Premier League. Oh, that would run the risk of upsetting Roger Federer because I don't think he's too enthralled by the uh Indian Premier League uh or international Premier League, whatever you want to call it, uh, rule set. But um, I, I don't think he's too too enticed by the, the concept of it at all. But, uh, you know, maybe it would work. 
you see Agassi? He got pissed off so bad that he broke a couple rackets. He says, I ain't going back. They didn't tell me it was going to be this competitive. <laughs> I need to go and practice. I need to get in shape. You see, because he treated it like a hit and giggle, just like most of those guys did. You know, he can't do, I guess that this is a serious league out there, or they're trying to be. Bupati's trying to get something going out there, but is that is that necessary when you've got this long season, though? It seems to me that the guys and gals are being hypocritical. They cry about the schedule, but then they'll go play there. So our plan would be they wouldn't have to be crying ever unless they're crying all the way to the bank. <laughs> See, we want to put cash in their pockets. I think they want to put cash in their pockets as well. well um, we know that already. But, I mean, still, this is a beautiful system. Why don't you people listen? And they never will. They never will. Of course they won't. Because, it's, like you said, there's too much money in all of this stuff. But uh, speaking of Davis Cup, Rafael Nadal lashed out at the young lady who is now the captain of the Spanish team, Gala Leon, is the Davis Cup coach. We talked about her when she was named the Davis Cup coach of Spain. And he said the following, It seems strange to me, as Davis Cup captain, that instead of seeking union and harmony between players, captains, and the federation, she has incited and fed a debate that is totally false and absurd. Now, we have to remind people that in September, Tony Nadal questioned Leon's appointment as Spain's first female Davis Cup captain by saying it was preferable that the captain is someone with a background in the world of men's tennis. Now, Uncle Tony got labeled a sexist. I think we labeled him one, too. And uh, now Raphael is upset. Is this even news? Should it be considered news? Do we look at Rafael Nadal differently now? Because look at him now. He's attacking the poor girl. Uh, to be honest, should it be considered news? Probably not. I mean, this thing, and you said quite correctly, it's gone back to September. We are now in December, and it's still rumbling on in little phases. I mean, I, th I thought this was settled in September after... Tony Nadal was shot down for his comments, but it seems that uh, Rafael Nadal now wants to have a go, and I I'm not entirely sure what his angle is on this. Um, he's not really added anything to the discussion. He's just come in and uh, he's basically criticized everyone apart from himself and uh, his uncle Tony. He's criticized the uh, girl for pretty much existing, and then he has criticized the... Uh, Spanish Federation for appointing her. Um, so what's what's his point? Does he not want to play? That's fine. Don't play. Um, nobody's asking him to play. Or well, maybe they are asking him to play. But will it, will he be missed? He wasn't missed this year when he didn't play. Um, he won't be missed from the World Group because Spain aren't in the World Group at the moment. Uh, so it, it's clear to me that Spain have got issues in terms of the Davis Cup. They've got issues between their best player and the federation, issues between their best player and the federation's choice of coach. I'd love to hear where the other players stand on this. I, I've yet to see a statement from any of the other top Spanish players. Um, maybe David Ferrer doesn't like female coaches or coaches who haven't been in the men's game. Um, maybe 
Feliciano Lopez, Fernando Verdasco, all these guys feel similar. Um, Baptista are good. Maybe, you know, maybe they all feel similar. But uh, nobody else seems to be saying anything. So it, it seems to me that this is a, a news story conducted by the Nadals to keep him in the news. Nothing else, really. Not from my perspective, anyway. You know what? It's about money and, and the whole thing and prestige. And it's also now... Raphael has an excuse. I don't have to play now. I don't want to play for her. We don't get along. And he doesn't have to go. See, scratch that from his list next year. Now he's got, instead of worrying about possibly six to eight weeks of Davis Cup play, he can go play exhibitions and make more cash. He's going out there to take cash. And this is what it's always about is money. These other guys in Spain, they're not going to say it. What's Feliciano Lopez going to say? He's not going to say anything. What's, what's he going to do? David Ferrer? David Ferrer's on his way out. He's, he's almost a grandfather. I mean, let's be honest. These guys don't have – they can't say anything. They, what are you going to say? Rafael can say what he wants. Rafael's got $150 million in the bank, and he's headed toward probably breaking Roger Federer's record if he can stay healthy. I mean, that's, that's real there. And Rafael now has an excuse when people question his uh, loyalty to his country. He can say, I don't get along with the coach. And now he doesn't have to play. I mean, that's just the way I look at it. Well, I gather that these guys are probably hoping that Nadal doesn't play because I believe that next season you have to play Davis Cup if you want to be considered for the Olympic tournament in Rio. Now, I know the Olympic tournament isn't huge on the tennis circuit, but, you know, I'm sure guys guys have said before in the past, like Andy Roddick, etc., that he'd uh, love a gold medal. So it would be interesting to see if Rafael Nadal fancies uh, a gold medal or not come 2016, assuming he's still out on the tour and healthy. Um, I, I'm sure if we'll see him in the Davis Cup next year if that's something he does fancy. And I, I've no doubt uh, other players will be getting involved in the Davis Cup next year. For that simple reason. Well, that could be, but I don't think he cares. But you know what the thing is, is uh, will Galileon be there then? Because somebody, something's going to have to give. And Rafael has all the power in Spain. Well, he had most of it. I thought he had all the power. Apparently, he doesn't have the power over who is the Davis Cup coach. Is he going to play or is she going to go? That's kind of interesting to think about, isn't it? It's intriguing, but I, I get the feeling that certainly for the first round, the games are both going to be there. Whether they're both there come the end of the year is a different story. I, I think um, there's going to be a disagreement at some point when those two personalities meet, and it's you know I'll probably be the coach that departs at the end of the year. If they want to try and keep it quiet, they'll just uh, slipper her. Papers, get rid of her, pay her off, whatever they do across in Spain, and uh, continue on without. And, you know, that's almost a dead cert. You're not going to be able to come up against someone like Nadal and uh, carry on uh, if he doesn't want you there. Um, you know, as you said, he's got most of the power and he'll stamp his feet until he gets the way he wants. That's, whether that's with the Spanish Federation or the Grand Slams or whatever, it's, it doesn't seem to matter. He just seems to get what he wants. Uh, that, that, that's how it is. It is what it is. Yeah, I understand that too. You know what? But people see that. That's the whole thing is they see that. They see the Djokovic's of the world crying and pouting about the U.S. Open and its scheduling, and they see Nadal pouting about coaches. 
And, and what it looks like from the outside looking in is that just a bunch of little privileged, spoiled brats making millions. And, and I think that kind of stuff hurts the game. I think it's hurt the fan increase. I think it's led to a decrease because it's so much negative. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is. And I think that the issue there is that top players have been dictating for so long, you know, winning the tournaments. They come in, they dictate, they almost dictate what kind of surface to play on because so many of the surfaces play similar now because they've complained about that, etc. Um, and obviously, we're at, we're at a stage now that they've got so much power and so much influence and... Uh, you know, they've made themselves a star attractions and tournaments want to have them there. Uh, once you get to that stage, you've got a bit of a problem because the power is in with a, a small core group of players as opposed to the bigger organization. Um, then you start questioning whether there's bias involved, etc. And it's not a great place to be and people turn off. Uh, they don't want to see that. They want to see hot competition, um, fair competition, and they want to have that positive atmosphere around the sport in general. They don't want to hear the complaining and the moaning and the um, not turning up or not wanting to play or it's too difficult or blah, 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 whatever. Um, the people are attracted to the sport because they want to see the competition and they, they want to see the best players playing the best and enjoying it. And, uh, you know, maybe that's not what we're getting at the moment. Yeah, maybe you're right. You know, what do we look forward to for 2015, though? Next week, we're going to give our Christmas presents to some of these players, but we're going to play Santa Claus next week, Craig. But uh, what do we look forward to? Do we look forward to more of this? It's almost like watching a soap opera and catfighting and stuff, and it's just stupid. I mean, this isn't, this isn't sport anymore, is it? No, it's not. I mean, it's... <laughs> Some some of the side sagas that have developed have just been ludicrous. Um, it it takes away from the actual sport itself, which is a shame. What do we have to look forward to next year? Well, unless some of these younger guys step up and push their way in at the top and become a real threat, and we start to uh, you know see new faces in there and take away a bit of that influence that these top players have, then it's going to be the same stories that we've seen in the last few years. The same, you know, will Nadal win the French Open again? Well, yes, probably. Will, you know, will such and such a player break through at a Grand Slam? Probably not because, you know, Djokovic is still there, etc. And then, you know, in between times, we'll just have all the moaning about too many tournaments, etc., etc. So it almost works in a big annual cycle you have the same and for the last five years it has you have the same stories over and over again um we cross our fingers that on both tours a few new faces pop up challenge at the top and maybe freshen things up a bit and uh really change the outlook of tennis give it a, another positive uh spin again and you know if if that happens maybe at the australian open it'll brighten up the outlook for 2015 and that's what we want, a brighter outlook for 2015 because all this stuff is so negative. And I talk to so many people every single day, Craig, and they say the same things. Why would I want to watch this? The season's too long, and all we get is bickering and fighting with these people. And it is what it is. It's, it's a bummer, but it's still a great sport. And get out there and play it if you get a chance. Don't sit on your couch and talk about tennis players. Go out there and be one. 
That's my advice to you. Anyhow, Craig, great stuff today. We'll catch you next week, man. Thank you very much, Phil. I've enjoyed being here. All right. That was Craig Doyle. I'm Phil Nasons. And you've just listened to This Week in Tennis on Max Sports Channels and the 405 Media, the talk alternative. We're happy to be there. If you want to bring this radio show to your station, you contact me at phil at philnasonshow.com. Until next time, enjoy the tennis. <laughs>